Hey, Extra Point listeners, big news, we're moving. The Extra Point podcast now has its own unique podcast feed. Same great content, new spot. Make sure to subscribe to the new Extra Point podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Extra Point Podcast. Really glad you're tuning in. My name's Todd. I'm one of the pastors here at First Family Church, and really glad you're joining us for this episode of what we do pretty much every Tuesday. Today's Tuesday, December 19th, and on the Extra Point Podcast, we look back at the previous week's text, and we bring some further insight, additional observation, perhaps deeper or more application. We always tie it to the text. Uh, There are a few weeks we do some random different things, but for the most part, we're here to bring some uh, extra points to what we talked about on Sunday, and today's no different. Uh, We're going to be looking at some things about the kingdom of God, or we could say the kingship of Christ. We could even say looking at some more details about King Jesus, and we looked at that last Sunday, you know, from Matthew chapter 2. The entire chapter really is a a contrast between the earthly king Herod and the heavenly king Jesus. And so we looked at those different uh, aspects of his kingship, of King Jesus. And I want to bring some more insight, as I promised in the message, to the idea of Christ's kingship or Jesus's kingship or even the kingdom of God. Let me begin by uh, having you contrast a couple of words. I don't think these words, in fact, I know they don't disagree, uh, but you have to hold them in different hands because they do point to different aspects of Christ's kingship or of Jesus as king. Um, They're not conflicting, they just are contrasting. So let me give you a couple words that I think, first of all, will help you grasp the phrase, the kingdom of God or the kingship of Christ. The two words are reign, as in the reign of Jesus as king, and then the other word is realm, uh, the realm of Christ's kingship. Here's some other ways to look at those. I think the reign of God, the reign of King Jesus is more of the what aspect, uh, the realm aspect of the reign of King Jesus or of Christ's kingship is that it deals more with the where, And, of course, this is even still sometimes difficult to pinpoint. Um, But just keep those in mind that reign is more of a sovereign, universal way to describe God or Jesus as king. And so in this sense, in the reign of King Jesus, under the reign of God, everything and everyone currently exists. There's nothing that isn't held together without Christ's reign as king. He's the creator. Uh, He's the one that um, helps and enables all things to consist. Every person, regardless of if they are a Christian or not, they're under God's sovereign universal reign. It's his world. The earth is his footstool. So in that sense, we would say that the kingship of Christ or the kingdom of God or Jesus as king, uh, his reign is over everything and everyone. It's universal. It's sovereign. Often those words can be synonymous. You know, Christ's reign or his sovereignty, they they can be used uh, very similarly. When we speak of the realm of Christ's reign, we are speaking there 
uh, usually more in a location type of way, like where his reign is universal, his realm might be local. Uh, we know for sure the realm of his reign is within the hearts of all believers. But we also know that in the Old Testament there was a, a realm in which he reigned. It was his people Israel, and he was in their midst. We know that there will be a realm called the new heavens and new earth that he will uh, deliver. He'll um, When he brings the new Jerusalem, that will be, of course, at his second coming. Uh, so all of that is... Uh, contained within the idea of the realm of God's reign. In fact, some would say that the realm of God's reign, that's a subset of God's reign. You may could use these words to understand them, that when we talk about God's reign, he's king. When we talk about the realm of God's reign, we're speaking of the kingdom of the king. And so sometimes that kingdom is a specific place at different points in history. It will be the entire earth in the future. For now, it's in the hearts of his uh, people. So just kind of keep that in mind as you um, think about these two words. But both are true about Christ's kingship. Both are true about the kingdom, that there is the reign of Christ as king, and there's the realm of Christ's reign as king. Both are true. Both work together. One is more or less a subset of the other there's also two other words that I think will help us understand the kingdom of God or the kingship of Christ or uh, characteristics about King Jesus and his kingdom. They are the words inaugurated and consummated. So I'm giving you four words today to bring some further insight into this idea of Christ's kingship. Uh, the word inaugurated is what Jesus did when he came. He brought the kingdom he even said this in very explicit terms, and I did mention this Sunday, so I won't repeat it here, but it is clear it's what the Old Testament prophesied. When he came, he was king. Incidentally, um, we celebrate the birth of a king at Christmas. We actually uh, remember the death of a king uh, at Easter and, of course, his resurrection. But you recall that when they um, nailed the sign above his head that said, this is the king of the Jews. It was an irony, uh, a mocking irony in some sense to the soldiers, and yet Matthew records it in a way that, yes, it was seen as irony by the soldiers, and yet it was actually true. They were actually clearly identifying who was on the cross. And so for that reason, uh, many of the early Christians in those first centuries would say, our king reigns from the cross. That's kind of a historical statement by many of the early Christians and so in every case throughout the life of Christ, you see he uh, is a king. He brought a kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. He inaugurated it, but it is currently because of the curse, because of the fall, it is contested in many ways. This is what Satan and his demons are doing. They're contesting the rule, the realm of Christ's kingship. The day is coming when it will no longer be contested, that's when we will see the kingdom consummated. And so just keep those two words in mind. The kingdom has been inaugurated. That was Christ's first coming. It will be consummated at Christ's second coming. And the in-between time, of course, is when it's being contested. Um, but Christ will one day crush Satan under his foot once and for all when he comes again, the sword of his mouth, which is the word of God. And so just keep these things in mind, four words that help us understand a little bit more about the kingdom of God and how it operates, um, what it looks like, 
it is God's universal reign, and at times it's seen in, in specific locales, and that's called the realm of God's universal reign, reign. And then, of course, we know that Christ brought the kingdom in its inaugurated form, and he will consummate that kingdom when he comes again. Now, in light of that, let me just share some other things with you that I think would be uh, opposed to how we see the kingdom of God and how the Bible lays it out for us. Most of you probably weren't aware of this. I wasn't either until just some recent study regarding this text in Matthew 2 and just the idea of Christ's kingship. Uh, Roman Catholics have a doctrine about Christ as king. It's technically called the social kingship of Christ. And here's what it states. The social kingship of Christ, a Roman Catholic doctrine, part of their dogma, it essentially states that society exists for both the earthly and the heavenly common good of human beings. Sounds good. Um, We all want people to flourish. We want people to know Christ, um, know God. Those are all true things. But in their doctrine of the social kingship of Christ, what they would say is that it's the job of their, um, what we now know as the Roman Catholic Church, to make sure that happens. And so this is one of the reasons, uh, and I'm not sure your Catholic friends would even be aware of this, this is one of the reasons that for, for centuries Catholics opposed religious liberty. Uh, all the way up until Vatican II, in fact, and even in Vatican II, the rewording of some of their doctrine, some of their uh, papal comments, um, it's kind of a, a um, splitting of hairs, a uh, you know drawing of lines that are very, very thin, we'll say, to try to make sure there's not contradictions, because for Roman Catholics to adopt the belief in religious liberty would be to say that their church should not have special um, privileges, that the, that the government, the culture, society should not um, try to make sure that um, Catholicism, Roman Catholicism, they would say that we should push that, we should let that be really what the nation believes so that everyone flourishes. This is what they mean by the social kingship of Christ, that both from a a physical and cultural point of view, as well as from a spiritual point of view, a government would help people achieve both their physical and spiritual salvation. So it would kind of get on board with Roman Catholicism. In fact, um, at least a couple of popes in both the 19th and 20th centuries, um, they are on record as affirming traditional Catholic doctrine, which that dogma would be the social kingship of Christ, that there is one religious um, system of beliefs or one body of beliefs that should be um, um, pushed, we'll call it, or should be laid upon a society for them to flourish in the best way possible, and that would be that of the Roman Catholics. And that's what they said. This seemed to contradict with later thoughts about um, religious liberty and as you know, many, many Catholics, even their leaders were moving towards that. They found an obvious conflict between what has been said for centuries under this doctrine they hold, and then what was actually happening among uh, their current day leaders and churches. And so they found a way at Vatican II and even following that to kind of word it to where they don't look contradictory. But just be aware, there is an actual doctrine of Christ's kingship within the Roman Catholic Church. It's called the Uh, the social kingship of Christ. And here's the difference between how we 
as Protestants uh, see the doctrine of the kingdom of God, the kingship of Christ, Jesus as king, and how they see it in their specific terminology of the social kingship of Christ, they would say they are bringing the kingdom and they're working to see the kingdom unfold on the earth. They would take a personal responsibility to that end. We would say it's what Jesus brings when he comes. And there is uh, an inaugurated kingdom that has begun and we are living in and within that kingdom, though it is being contested, but it's Jesus who empowers the kingdom and will bring the consummated form of it when he returns. And so the real difference here is really whose um, job is it to make the kingdom visible? Whose job is it to really uh, you know, see the kingdom come and for it to be on earth as it is in heaven? And the Roman Catholics in this doctrine would say that the responsibility lies upon them, we would say that rests with Christ, not to excuse us from working in the kingdom. But you see the difference here? I hope that it's somewhat clear, and you can begin to contrast even uh, false teaching with true teaching. And so just understand, when we talk about the kingdom of God, the kingship of Christ, Jesus as king, he is the one who will bring that in its consummated form when he comes. And our main responsibility then is to do as he taught us in the Lord's Prayer, and as Revelation also echoes in the final chapter. We are to pray for his will to be done and his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. You see, in heaven, the kingdom of God is not contested in any way. His will is done perfectly every single time, and that is what is on the way. When Christ comes, his kingdom will be on earth as it is in heaven, the new heavens, the new earth, and all of God's people, his chosen people, the royal priesthood, the holy nation, all those uh, titles and identities that are given to God's church in First Peter, which, by the way, mirror what God told his people Israel after they left Egypt. Now, of course, he combines those to show that his people now, both Jew and Gentile, are his new covenant people. And he will dwell among them in the new heavens and new earth. That's what Jesus is bringing when he comes. And so we're to pray to that end. Lord, come quickly. Bring your kingdom so that it is on earth as it is in heaven. Both his reign, the realm, all of that inaugurated kingdom fully consummated. These are just some words and terms to help us get a better understanding on this all-important um, doctrinal theme that especially services during this time of the year when we celebrate the arrival of King Jesus as a baby. This is what it's all about. It's the kingship of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to the Extra Point Podcast. To find more content and resources to grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus, go online to firstfamily.church resources.